um, in our lives from our point of salvation on. Everything hinges upon this moment that we're going to read about today. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for some time we can spend together in your word, and I pray, Lord, you'll help us to see the beauty and the horror of the cross, that we have to hold that together, that it's not just um, something that we can breeze by and say, thank you, Lord, but it's also something that we can't dwell on forever as a place of guilt and shame that would overwhelm us. It's all of that wrapped into one. Help us to see it, help us to feel it, and help us to know and trust the promise that we're saved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read it through, and then we will break it down. Got to get there. My bookmark's in the wrong place. Verse 16b, if you're being technical. So, and he went out to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There were two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them, and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, I am King of the Jews. Pilate have written. When the tunic, but the tunic was seamless. So they said to one another, Let us not take see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divide for my and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldier and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his, mo- said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that home, that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so at the bottom on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews broken that they might be taken away. So the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw him, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you may also that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him who, whom they have pierced. There's a lot in the other gospels that's kind of not mentioned here by John. And so we'll dabble in that a little bit. We want to focus mainly on what John is telling us. The first thing is the crucifixion is 
act of love that we hinge our entire faith upon. Other people that would be part of the Abrahamic books would be the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians that all have a belief in Abraham, that all look at parts of the Old Testament, that all have, they don't have the cross, they don't have the sacrifice. To Muslims, Jesus is a to the Jews, he's a prophet. It was just a They're still waiting for the Messiah. For us, as Christians, the cross is everything. Several years ago, Christopher Hitchens, if you don't know Christopher Hitchens, um, he died of cancer a few years ago. His brother Peter Hitchens, which is an interesting story, two guys, um, Peter Hitchens becomes a believer, writes a book all about his brother and kind of denounces atheism. But Christopher Hitchens uh, eventually died, I believe, of throat cancer. Um, he atheist, part of the new atheist movement of the last 20 years, and articulate men, mostly it seems, I don't know what that's about, that are very outspoken about their atheism. So he was interviewed by a Unitarian minister by the name of Marilyn Sewell, and he's had all these things, and he's been in debates, and he would debate people, and there's very famous ones all over that you can watch or read. So he's being interviewed by this Unitarian minister, and she says uh, that she died for her sins. So Hitchens responds, don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he wrote our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. And we've seen this story over and over again. You remember a few years ago the Penn and Teller comedians? You had Penn and Teller. is the big tall guy, big big guy. And there was a viral video that went around about five or six years ago, maybe even longer, where he was angry at Christians. He's like, if you, if you really believe this stuff, and you really believe that I'm going to go to hell that because I don't believe in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and you don't tell me about that, then you really hate me, don't you? You really hate a person to not share with them the hope and trust that Jesus, the hope of life, he's an atheist. And he wasn't saying, hey, I want to be a Christian. It wasn't this evangelistic thing. He was just saying, if you really believe this stuff, then wouldn't you be open with it? Shouldn't you tell me about it? Shouldn't you several years ago said that you have love doesn't necessarily hate, it's indifference. When you just go, eh, eh, whatever. It's, it, you know, you do you, eh. Well, you do you sends people straight to hell. And so we have to look at the cross and we have to look at these passages of scripture and what Jesus has done for us as ultimate and required and we have to tell people about it. If we don't, have some, you know, we come to the church and we got some cool food and we do some good stuff and we never point them to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and a relationship with him being required for our salvation, then we're not really calling people to anything other than some cool friendships with great people in a building. We have It's everything. So when Jesus is about to be taken, in between the comma place called the place of the skull. That's where you have when Simon comes and carries the cross and he's helped and all of that from the other gospels is 
that story is told. John doesn't focus much on that because that's not his centerpiece. It's not what he's really trying to focus on. That after by Pilate, he's taken out by the soldiers. He has to carry his own cross to the place of the skull. Now, the place of the skull gets its name. Two different... The look like a skull from a distance, but it's kind of... Like, mm, I think if I squint just right... It, it's not like Castle Grayskull from the old He-Man cartoons. Anyone? Just a few of you? Okay. It was all the place of the skull because the bodies were left. The crucifixion was not one that we're going to see here with Jesus, where it's only a few hours long, the legs are broken, and people die. It was days of agony. Days. And then if these are criminals with no family to claim them, nobody wants to have anything to do with them, nobody's going to try to come after them, there's a fear with the Romans, and what are we going to do? do we, that they'd be picked clean, and there was human skulls laying around. If you walk, and sometimes you come across a skull of an animal that's either been shot and hasn't been found, or is killed, or just dies, that, just think of skulls kind of littering this area. It's a place of death. So Jesus is taken to the spot. Um, we believe that what happened the cross, you'd have to carry the cross member. You didn't carry the literal whole cross because those were often posts were stuck in the ground and left there. This is a public execution place. And so sometimes you're just carrying the main beam. It's a place, a way of torturing you to carry this beam all the way up, and then you're attached. They winch you up, nail you down. They nail you to the crossbar, then they winch you up, and then they nail your feet in. He's taken to a place of death. He's taken to die. They crucified him with two between them. John doesn't record that interchange between the thieves. He doesn't record that one comes to a place of faith in that moment and Jesus promises on this day, you'll be with me in paradise. That's why anybody starts talking about um, purgatory or, or that someone has to have a faith uh, that's long-standing before that you can't have meet someone in the hospital, share the gospel with someone in the hospital, and they die three hours later. Well, they only were a Christian for three hours. There's no way they're in heaven. These if Jesus isn't going to make a promise from the cross to someone stand, sitting next to him who's repentant of his sin and says, today, on this day, you'll be with me in paradise, um, that helps us there is no purgatory, helps us to see that there is no special time stamp. Well, you said you love Jesus. Let's give it about 36 more hours and then you're in. It's not like that. And we know that based on the truth of the Bible, not just conjecture and what we hope and want. So he's taking two people. Um, we know one is they're thieves and terrorists, we would call them today, and they're hanging out with Jesus literally, on this cross. Now the point of the cross of suffocation. And we'll see that in a minute. The point of the cross is a slow, deadly suffocation. The reason why you nail someone's feet in a certain way, and the way you have the cross, uh, you spread the cross, and they lean forward, it constricts the rib cage, and you'll slowly suffocate. Years you've heard probably heard this more here in town. There was a case um, when you would hog tie someone. Police officers would do that. The rip hobble. There's a whole legal case that came out of Laramie for it. 
that if you tie your legs up and lay them on the ground, it's the same thing as positional asphyxiation, same thing as crucifixion. That's how you die, is when you're constricting the rib cage. So the point of all the scourging, the point of all the beatings that Jesus took were to make it harder for him to stand up. So you can imagine he's standing up on pierced feet, and then he's tired, his back hurts, it's rubbing on this, it's painful, and then he just falls forward. Then he starts to suffocate. Then you get up the nerve to stand back up so you can catch your breath. It would have been this constant place of agony. Jesus is enduring all of this. And he's taking it all in to take on the sin of the world for you and for me. Again, I have any like super commenters will, don't agree with this um, or don't go down this road. But I think what we see this exchange happening here with John, I think Pilate, if he didn't come to a faith in Jesus, he's definitely very faith curious. I don't know what that means, but we sometimes we call him a seeker or whatever. But he had special. He knew Jesus was something not just this criminal, and he's a little irritated with the Jewish leaders. So there's, but is this sarcasm towards Jesus directed, or is this sarcasm and a poke at the leaders? So he puts him on the cross, Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And everyone's reading this, and he doesn't just do it that way, he writes it in three languages. He so, leaders there, it's just sarcasm poking at the Jewish leaders. They would have all read that. He puts it in Latin. Every single passerby gets to see this. Now, put down. That's a possibility too, but given all Jesus from going to the cross, he's now there, and now he's making a proclamation. Jesus, King of the Jews. He's the one. Now the counter-argument would be, well, then why did he let him die? He could have pardoned him and said, forget all the leaders. So there's, a, there's a cloud here, and it's hard for me to see through it. Some days, I go, Pilate's terrible, and he's just, in other days... He had an encounter with Jesus. And a lot of that's just anybody that had an encounter with Jesus was changed. They either were furious and angry, but there was no confusion in a relationship with Jesus. An interaction with Jesus led to loving, support, belief, or led to a hardened heart and a willingness to destroy because you didn't believe. And here, I'm confused by Pilate, so I don't know. We can probably have drink lots of coffee and have a conversation, and we'll all come to different conclusions. But the leaders are ticked. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, He's not the king. Don't write. This man said, I'm king of the Jews. So Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. I'm done with you. I'm done with this mess. I'm done with you're pushing me. I'm done with the, the manipulation. I'm done. He washes his hands of it in another passage. I'm done. I'm done. Or he's internally conflicted. I really, I think there's something. I don't know. He doesn't understand Roman gods. He's not sure. I, I, don't, I might be paying for this later. And it could be a, a walking away. I've written what I've written because he's deeply saddened. 
Either way, it's written. This is to be put on public display for everyone in town. I think the, the hill of, I mean, there, it, there's buildings built on top of everything in Israel. So it's really hard to find the spot. Um, the spot where it's supposed to be the, the tomb where Joseph Arimathea put him in, um, it's inside a building now. They carved out, and I'll show you pictures next week when we get there, but they carved out the mountain around what used to be a mountain, and you duck down in this little spot, and you kind of walk in, and it's a complete shrine. It's no cave. Like, there's nothing even remotely resembling a tomb. And you can go, well, this might be the airspace in which the tomb was. But over 2,000 years, people trying to honor this space have kind of turned into this giant spot. Um, so anyway, do we know say exactly, but we know about where things were. When the they took his The point of this is the fulfillment of Scripture. The world cast lots to see what, who shall have the Scripture, which says they divide clothing they cast lots. Now if you look at telling us we see uh, that this is a and there's four in this time and we see the drink um, in Psalm 69 and we see the broken from Psalm 34 and we see that the piercing is seven are a little in Zechariah 2. John's trying to get everyone, all of us to see that the Old Testament filled in the new. That Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection is the fulfillment of God's promises. And if you can believe that, if you see that the says in his word is true, he's not just making things up. This the whole plan for our salvation was Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That if all of these hints are dropped in the Old Testament, and then all of them are coming true to fulfill Scripture, and John tells us, this was to fulfill the Scripture. That everything Jesus is doing is helping us to see that He's the Messiah. Everything. And the way it's soldiers to help fulfill Scripture, it's all about us understanding that God's in control. He's sovereign over everything. So there lots like rolling dice, kind of a not for our purposes. They're essentially trying to pick who gets this. Can you imagine soldiers hanging out around a cross, playing games to see who gets to take the clothes home? That's disgusting. But that's the way that they viewed life hanging around the crucifixion, the, the, the hill of skulls. These are just criminals, these hardened soldiers, these hardened men, just doing what they're told. So the soldiers of Jesus, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So you've got four women and John all standing around. resurrection, that where you have a consistency of his disciples, men and women, surrounded 
disciples run for cover. Some disciples stay close. Some are more bold. And some are more terrified. But standing around the cross watching, can you imagine? Mary, mother of Jesus, watching her son die. Even though from Mary's magnificent, all him, she knew that there was something special about him, something different. She knew he'd promised all these things. She'd heard all the promises. She's been around with the disciples. She's, but she's still watching her, her son die. And in that cross, in an ultimate act of care, tells his mom, woman, behold your son. Behold your son. John's going to take care of you. He tells John, behold your mother. From that, um, gives us some windows into Christian family and Christian community. Amber and I have, uh, for a while, faithful, church-going, God-honoring people. Um, and there's a lot of times when we go home and visit, stuff comes out of their mouths and some behaviors that they talk about and some ways in which they, they want to live. We just will leave and go, how did we turn out so amazing? <laughs> and, and then we kind of process some, like, a lot celebrated sin, behaviors, selfishness, a lack of pouring out into the community and instead grabbing what's mine. Like, how is that? How, did, how are we the way we are? Not that we're perfect. That was a joke. I'm glad you all laughed. But we just live different. I'm moving out of Vincent's, Indiana. They thought we were insane for leaving. Why would you go to West Virginia? And then six years later, Wyoming? Why would you go there? Because it's better. Why would you away from your family? It's just unheard of. But this is to his house. And there for a little was going to be a little farther down the road. And he offered for Amber and I to build on the back of the property if we wanted to. Nope, not happening. But of the Christian faith, I still have amazing friends that are in West Virginia. There's a lot of, of hurt. There's a lot of, I don't want to ever go back there. But there's also some deep relationship with some people that we went through all kinds of turmoil together. In their families, with our kids, there's a very long conversation between Amber and I uh, about both kids. Well, it was longer than that, about eleven or twelve years ago. Um, we were going to go on vacation, and we had never written a will. And we were going on vacation, going scuba diving in Mexico, which can sometimes be dangerous, but if you're smart, it's not. And we had kids with my dad and my stepmom to watch for a week. Who do we want to raise our children? And we spent about a month praying 
We didn't know. The natural answer is, well, of course, your family. Your family's going to raise them. That's their blood. And so we were really, we were willing and ready. We already talked to our friends. Hey, we're really debating this. We're not sure what to do. We're going to get a will written. Um, would you raise our kids if we die in Mexico? Well, of course we would. They love the Lord. They serve the church. They raise their kids in a Christian home. Like, it's everything I want for my kids. But we just couldn't do it. Like, that's just, they would be six hours away. We're dead. Not see our, like, what are we going to do? So I sat my brother down and had a very long talk with him and said, this is the deal. You know what I believe. You know where I stand in my faith. I don't know you and your family. You don't go to church. You're not connected to a Christian community. I know you're a good man. I'm not trying to say that. But you don't have a connection to God, and that's really important for my children. I'm going to let you raise my child, raise my children if we're dead, but here's the stipulations. This is the desire of our heart. And he capitulated, but I still was very uneasy. It wasn't until both my kids professed a faith in Christ, were baptized, that I feel even okay with. And as, I, as they get older, and as I get older, closer to maybe not being around, as they, I'm less and less in tension about it, because they can live their life. They know the Lord. What I'm getting at is Jesus is helping us to see that sometimes our bonds in faith are much stronger, much tighter, and much more real than even the bonds of blood. I know that's hard for a lot of people, but it's the truth. That when you have a shared faith in Christ, that's stronger than just family. It's deeper. And so Jesus is saying to John, take care of my mom. He, he didn't say that to his brothers. He didn't say that to his siblings. He said that to one of his disciples. Does this give us a window that maybe the siblings weren't along? Mom's there. Mom's hanging out with Jesus and the disciples. She's there in town during the Passover. She's there in town with the disciples. She's all right there. So she's all in. But there's no other siblings around. So Jesus says, John, right, take care of her. Care for my mom. That's huge. It's huge. I thirst. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. <clears throat> you may have seen this scene in the movie Braveheart. They stole that whole scene right out of scripture and instead of screaming, it is finished, they, he screamed freedom. If you remember in Braveheart, he didn't take the drugs to dull his senses because he wanted to keep his wits about him so he wouldn't cry out in pain. Jesus refused to take very similar um, medicinal ways for him to not feel the pain. He took on all the pain. And in the end, he needed to be able to have his breath and have enough of a voice to be the author of his death. Essentially Gatorade. It's ancient Gatorade. It's a mixed drink. Um, sometimes it's you, you read this, you think, oh, sour wine? Those jerk soldiers. Well, why would they have a thing of sour wine laying around? If it's, if it's not 
unbelievable, and it's terrible. It's a place of torture. It was their drink. The soldiers were drinking it. It's a way, it's a, instead of getting drunk from wine, they're on duty. So the keeping your electrolytes up. I don't know that's true, but that's what it was used for. It's a working man's drink. And so they, <clears throat> sometimes you read this, the soldiers are being mean. He says thirst. They're giving it to him. And he's he can endure every drop of pain and suffering that he can to fulfill the promise of taking our sin on the cross. This isn't Jesus in his weakness. I'm thirsty. Please help me. This is Jesus saying, I thirst. I've got more to say. Give me something to parch my quenched lips. I have something to say. The soldiers capitulate. He receives it. And he says, it is finished. So that no one would have any doubt who authored this. Yes, but he's the one that got up there of his own free will, of his own desire, of his own passion for us. No one forced him there. He went there. So he cried, and he gave up his spirit. He was not killed by this act of crucifixion. He said he was done. Since it was the day of preparation, and this is where we get to the leg breaking. Since the day of preparation, preparing for the Sabbath, bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first. This suffocation on the cross. You no longer can stand up. You can no longer catch your breath. So once the legs are broken, you suffocate within minutes. But they get to Jesus, and he's already dead. Because he gave up his spirit. He said it's time. He's dead. They came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Again, fulfillment of the prophecy that his legs, his bones wouldn't be broken. And at once there came out blood and water. Now what does this mean? It means that the spear would have been long enough to pierce the chest cavity, the fluid surrounding our organs, and so out comes blood. It's not literal water, but we're largely made of water. And so it's the, he pierced the chest cavity, pierced, but it has, the disciples in the upper room discovers or he encounters Thomas. There's a big enough cut in his side that he says, look, you can put your hand in it. So this is a large, just a needle prick. But whatever through the chest cavity, probably up under the rib, was the chest cavity and the fluid that protects around our organs all comes out at once. He was pierced. Again, fulfilling scripture. He would be pierced for our sin. He saw bore witness that seeing all of these prophecies come true all testified he's the Messiah he's the one he was it everything he did was a fulfillment of scripture over 330 ish prophecies come true in the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus 
I'm no mathematician. Somebody, some pastor did it once, and I don't remember the exact number. That's an astronomical kind of coincidence. It's impossible. You being struck by lightning every day for a year and you winning the lottery every day for a month are more likely to happen than all of the prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. That leads us to our amazing understanding and belief in the cross. It's not just something recorded, oh, this happened. It's the multitude of prophecies over generations that point to one person and his name is Jesus. That anybody that doubts, anybody that doesn't run through the Bible and see these, anybody that can't, their eyes haven't been opened. They're either rejecting that truth or God hasn't revealed it to them yet. He dies on a cross, fulfilling scripture for you and I to know that his promises are kept. And so you can extrapolate that even to the rest of the New Testament. That if God says what he says, and he fulfills what he says, then the promises made all the way into Revelation we studied last year are true. They're true. But it starts with a belief in the cross. It's everything. Our whole faith hinges on it. The plan of salvation is fulfilled on that cross. And it begs the question to us. Like if you think about all the things that we see in the world that cause us to be angry, that cause us to feel sadness, to feel planet. When there's an injustice going on in the world and we see things not being done, we see people in pain, we see people that are in need, and we have motivation to it, I can't believe this, what is happening there I, if we didn't believe that there was something bigger and greater and better than this world when we would see all the things happening on television people being hung from helicopters, kids being rescued out of child trafficking and if that a righteous anger, seeing those things, then I would question where your faith is, where your heart is. The belief in God, the fact that points us into, I, I, I can't, what? It makes our brains hurt. If God wasn't real, we would watch those things like we drive down I-80 and we see an antelope on the side of the road. Or a deer. Or there was a cow elk just a couple months ago, right here before you climb up the summit. You drive, that stinks, and you keep on driving. Because that's not an image bearer of God. That's not a person with a hope that can be found in Jesus. You see a, a dead ground squirrel on the road. Do any of you weep for the ground squirrel? You don't weep for it. You might go, well, that's sad. Because you like animals. You like living things. Like, that's one of God's creation. You're like, eh. But you're Where's the justice in the world? We need to ban automobiles because of the poor squirrel. We need to... What are we doing? We need to... The fact... 
weep into anger over what humans do to other humans points us to the truth that God is real. And if God he says his promises in his word and they come true in his word, then Jesus on the cross is real. And in word that we're supposed to follow and do and how to act and to live, that you can't just have sanctification. The long life of growing closer to God and being more like Him. It's our whole lives. So that's why I asked the second question. If you see the fulfillment of God's promises on the cross, how that's true? What can happen? So I get it right. The moment finished salvation is the moment you'll start working for your salvation. The minute you start to think that you have some effort into your salvation, you're going to start working for it. It all love, I got to try for his love, and if you go down those roads, then you immediately your brain goes to when something bad trials come your way. Because you're going down this dark road of thinking you earn your salvation, then you'll go down, I've caused my own pain. I've done this. I deserve this. This is payment for something I did in my past or something I did yesterday. That's detrimental to our faith. It robs us of our joy. You have as the finish line. That's why he said it is finished. There is now no more shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. None. You don't carry around the pain of the past, the guilt of the past, the shame of the past. You don't carry that around because the cross eliminates all of that. And as soon as you start going down the road that you have to earn his love, and that punishment is doled out because you didn't do things right, you start to lose that joy that a connection with Christ has. You don't earn this. He went to the cross of his own will. The fulfillment of Scripture. Not just to save you, but to also glorify the Father. We read in Romans 3, about 27. That he goes to the cross to bring glory to the Father. And we are swept up in this loving act of forgiveness so that we make much of God, not of ourselves. When he said it is finished, that's the end. You're saved by grace because of the faith you've been given. And that's it. You don't earn this. So because you don't earn it, and it's a free gift, how do you live your life? Knowing you're loved by the king. It should create not a swagger and an arrogance, but it should create a confidence. I've seen it in the word. I've seen it in the testimony. I've seen it in my church family. I've seen it in people near me. They're going to accept me. They're going to love me. They might need to help me polish off some edges or point out some things that are not going so great. 
but they love me. The cross is all God has to do to prove that. God the Son stepped on the cross to prove his love. How will you live in light of that love? It should cause us to overflow in graciousness for others. It should cause us to have a confidence in that love so we're not filled with fear and anxiety and, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. It should give us an unlimited amount of joy because we're loved by the King. And if we're not there, then there are barriers in the way. We're too busy. We don't spend time with God in prayer and in His Word or in community. We've got some things in our past that keep being brought up by the enemy. There's something there that's not, and we need to break through that. Our confidence comes because the prophecies are fulfilled, the cross proves His love, and He'll never let go of us. That's why Christianity is the place of hope found in the world. We will step into all kinds of circumstances to help people to know this. So this week, do some reflection. Am I living life knowing that God am loved by the King? There are things I'm holding back because I'm uncertain, I don't know, I don't understand. Then we should work towards removing those barriers. That might just come in a Sunday school class. Did you get that like promotion hint like next week? All right, let's pray. Pray, Lord, that you'll help us to spend some time with you poured out on the cross for us. My family, friends, how I pour myself out are all reflections of what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, in the areas of my life where I'm selfish and I don't um, give freely to you, I pray you'd help to polish those rough edges away. You'll help me to see that a life lived for you is the only life, um, especially after what you've done for us on the cross. The 60, 70, 80, however many years you give me here on this planet are spent helping others to know that kind of truth, that kind of love. And for eternity, we will sing of your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.